Welcome to The Radical Therapist. We are now at episode number 114. I am Chris Hoff, and as always, thanks for listening, and we got a very special episode for you today. I'm excited to be speaking with Cassie Thornton about the hologram, a feminist peer-to-peer health for a post-pandemic future. In an era when capitalism leaves so many to suffer and to die, how can we take health and care back into our hands? Cassie Thornton puts forward a bold vision for revolutionary care, a viral peer-to-peer feminist health network. The premise is simple. Three people, a triangle, meet on a regular basis to focus on the physical, mental, and social health of a fourth, the hologram. The hologram, in turn, teaches their caregivers how to give and receive care. Each member of their triangle becomes a hologram for another, and so the system expands. Drawing on radical models developed in the Greek solidarity clinics during a decade of crisis and directly engaging with mutual aid and the coronavirus pandemic, art, activism, and science fiction collide, the hologram develops the skills and relationships we desperately need for anti-capitalist, for the anti-capitalist struggles of the present and the post-capitalist society of the future. And uh, we're going to be talking about that with Cassie Thornton, who is of the Feminist Economics Department, and she has worked with and written about art against capitalist financialization extensively. She has hypnotized hedge fund managers to have them see the debt they owe us, and she created an alternative credit reporting system to support people to get housing and jobs in spite of massive techno-gentrification. She's given cursed painting to bake cursed paintings to bankers who profit off of destroying public schools and she's taught liberation feminist economics in corporate yoga studios three years ago she also launched a collective mutual aid protocol called the hologram which we're going to talk about today and wrote a book about it uh, that was published by pluto press so we're just not going to waste any time let's meet cassie Hi, Cassie. Welcome to the Radical Therapist Podcast. Hi, Chris. Great to see you. Appreciate you making the time all the way from Berlin. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to talk about, uh, well, a couple of your projects, but um, I I really want to maybe just start by asking about specifically the hologram, what it is, how does it work, and how did it come to be? Yeah. So, The hologram is a peer-to-peer health practice um, that is practiced from couches and beds around the world. Um, It's really like a protocol for how to have a meeting. Um, And I think it's useful to know that uh, it kind of, it came through me kind of because I was an anti-debt activist for a long time. Um, And so I feel like I was an artist and an activist really focused on like what debt and living in a kind of debt-based society does to us in terms of like how alienated we feel how how kind of forced we are to kind of be responsible like loan and responsible for our own you know our own health in many ways and I mean I think maybe stop feeling like a part of society and start feeling more just like completely alone and so um Yeah, I think I was kind of an expert in reporting on what debt was doing to people. And I came up with like lots and lots of ways to investigate that. Um, And I was really wishing for a kind of antidote 
And I was really, really excited to research like lots of different anti-debt movements and, and what those anti-debt movements manifested. And one of the things that surprised me most was looking at the Greek debt crisis mm -hmm. and um, how, you know, austerity and an influx of migrants escaping war and poverty, um, that the response by like lots of different people, anarchists, NGOs, churches was to create um, free health clinics all over Greece. And so, um, it was, I heard it almost like a rumor that there was this one clinic that was not only giving free care to anyone that walked in, but they were also giving, like they wanted to experiment with giving non-hierarchical care. And so this was the Social Solidarity Clinic in Thessaloniki. And um, I really did hear like a rumor and eventually went to Greece to try to figure out who this was that was doing it and what they were up to. Because all I heard was that as a patient, you would go in and you'd be seen by a doctor and a social worker and a therapist at the same time, and that those people would interview you all together. And that just blew my mind mm -hmm. um, from an American perspective, like how far could we get from what we experience? And this meeting was supposed to be like 90 minutes long. And then at the end of the meeting, as the rumor went, and, and as I found to be true, um, the person receiving the care was, led to sort of say what they wanted and what they thought they needed after they heard themselves speak about their physical and mental, emotional and social well-being. And so um, that type of support just kind of blew my mind. Um, and that influenced like lots of different experiments over the years. A lot of times I kind of used my practice as an artist as a, a, an excuse to practice this. So I would say like, you know, I've got this art show at a nonprofit play space, they can't really pay me for my work, but I could accept an exchange where we could experiment with my idea. Mm -hmm. So lots of different experiments happened over time. Lots of cooks have been in this kitchen. <laughs> and then I think the other really important part of this is that um, I moved from Oakland, California, where this idea kind of first was born to me. Um, to rural, the middle of nowhere in Canada, which is actually really the middle of somewhere. It's called Thunder Bay. Hmm. And um, I got to work in uh, indigenous, like a kind of queer indigenous and two-spirit uh, feminist street patrol in one of the most dangerous parts of Canada, probably the most dangerous part of Canada. Hmm. Um, and I just learned a lot about mutual aid. I learned a lot about... Um, collective work about the politics of recognition and resisting that and about uh, what collective organizing can be. And so I would say the hologram at its very roots has that involved in it. And then um, because now it's been, we've been kind of growing and more people have become involved over the years. I would say it's now it's influenced by a lot of different sort of social movements and practices that other people have brought in. Hmm. Um, and I mean, just to be like a little bit more granular about what it is, like yeah, right. basically, like, you know, I do it and maybe I can just explain how I do it. So I am a, like, I think of um, in the model, there's one person that asks for support from three people and we call that person a hologram. So I'm a hologram. Uh, like three years ago, I invited three people that I know to meet with me regularly. 
And those three people mostly meet with me. We all meet in a group. They, they mostly ask me questions. And one person asks me questions about my social health. One person asks me about my physical health. And one person asks me about my mental and emotional health. And there's a whole ritual around it. The meeting is like a protocol. Like it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's quite structured. Um, there's like, you know, for example, we do a kind of small somatic piece at the beginning. And at the closing, we do like reflections and feedback from the people that are asking questions. We call those people the triangle. And my job as the hologram is not to reciprocate what I receive. I don't turn around to my triangle and say like, thank you so much. How are you? <laughs> my job is to make sure that they have support that they want. And so like the sort of secret theme of the project is making sure the people that give care are cared for. And so it's a negotiation. So do they want triangles? Do they also want to be a hologram like me? Or do they want something else? Like one of my triangle members has a psychotherapist, um, a psychoanalyst four days a week. He's not, he doesn't want anything else. <laughs> and that's totally okay. But we, we have to have those conversations. And so the project kind of grows virally that way. Hmm. Um, at least hypothetically, I think we've learned a lot about how it grows. And it's a much more complex than the sort sure. of systematic approach, but this is that was kind of like the seed of the idea. Wonderful, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through this. But as, um, I'm wondering if you could you you describe the hologram as an open source peer to peer viral social technology for dehabituating humans from capitalism. I'm wondering if you could say more about that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of layers to that. Um, I think the simplest part of that is that um, I think in capitalism, which is obviously so overlapped with like patriarchy and racism and all of that, but, and right. colonialism, but, you know, whatever the, the cocktail is that we've <laughs> been living with for the past century or so, like we have been really led to be, to, to sort of be self-sustaining independent people who, if we ask for help, it must mean that there's something wrong with us. I think this is the main thing hmm. is really like um, getting over asking for help and realizing that it's it's so hard to be vulnerable in this way, to ask for support, especially from a non-professional, um, to ask help and be vulnerable among people you know, and to like, uh, yeah, to kind of like let yourself be held, but not by, not for an exchange, there's just so there's so many elements of it that I think kind of confront the training that we have. And like, I think that, you know, things are also changing in people, which I think is really interesting. So at the beginning of the pandemic, um, this question of reciprocation came up so strong. Like people would say to me, like, I will absolutely never accept anything from anybody if I cannot pay them back and have it be clean. Yeah, you, and I think, you you write about this the hologram com complicate. I think you say yeah, complicating reciprocity. And I'm wondering, this is what this is. Yeah, and I think this is like this is the most like the easiest way to talk about confronting capitalist practices is just that like it's so much easier to just give something that we pretend is equal to what we receive, hmm. and it that is much easier to us than it is to just receive and then have to figure it out after without feeling a kind of shame filled debt mm -hmm. um and i think like most people at the beginning of this project 
the first response is also a problem of capitalism. People are like, I don't have time for this. The second thing was like, I will never give something. I mean, I will never receive something without giving something back because I don't want to be a burden to anybody. Mm. Um, And so I think these things are really, they're really big and they seem sort of simple, but I think they're also things that are mutable and are changing. And we've really seen in the last three years of organizing this, how much people have changed. Like now, I think, I mean, things have gotten hard for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. maybe we've had to get a little bit more acclimated to asking for support um, and being okay with not being able to give it back right away. Um, And so we don't get confronted in those ways. And so I think it's interesting how, I mean, I really believe that like, as we change, we will change also the nature of capitalism. Um, I don't know that we're going to bring it down just simply by changing our behaviors, but it's really interesting to watch it mutate, um, and to kind of take ownership of it, over it a little bit. Yeah, that's great. Uh, trust is paramount to the hologram. And I'm wondering if you could say more about how, about how trust and how you describe how everything's going to work out, works out. <laughs> yeah, it's going to work out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the the interesting thing that we've learned probably since that book came out is that you don't like trust is a big idea that we don't always fully understand. There's a lot of pressure on trust. Hmm. Um when we first started teaching hologram workshops and courses and we would talk about trust, just by talking about trust, people would flip out and be like like I don't trust you. I don't trust this. Why would I, why should I trust this? And we're like, no, no, no. We're talking about trust because we want to understand what trust means. But also then like, actually, I think you could do this project at a certain level without trust and it might still be okay. Mm. And I think that like, that is interesting. Like um, there's a certain amount of like, of this project that I feel like is meant to challenge this hyper individuation that we have experienced where like my problems are so different and so have so heavy, but also I need to keep them hidden and private. Mm-hmm. And so I have to really trust the people around me to be able to hold it. And I think meanwhile, a lot of us are going through stuff that's very interrelated. Um, many of our struggles are very parallel. And so I'm not sure that the same level of like trust is needed if we kind of assume that we are in this together, struggling with quite similar stuff. Um, Of course, it's useful and maybe trust grows over time, but I don't know if like in this project, you have to really like build the trust before you do the practice. The practice might produce trust. And I also don't know if trust is necessarily like the big goal that we think that it is. Like, I think a lot can happen before you trust somebody and it's just a matter of kind of like maybe trusting yourself. Um, And I think that this is like the confusing part, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what I said about like everything will work out, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, yeah. Okay. Um, Before you, you write that before embarking on the hologram, there are toxic lessons to unlearn. And I'm wondering if you could share what those are. Yeah. I mean, I think the the biggest one is it seems to me to be, um, yeah, like 
kind of what I've been saying about um, like feeling like we are, each of us is carrying something so unbelievably heavy that it would be better if we just took care of it ourselves. Mm. And so yeah. it makes it really hard to share a lot of stuff. I mean, I know I write in the book about um, like how hard it is to share, like actually like hardcore, like share resources. But I actually think it starts with like even sharing ourselves. Like there's something, um, there's something that we've kind of made into like an automatic value that like we really believe like we should, we should withhold ourselves because something about us is just too heavy and too dark to share with other people. Mm. Um, and that's why we, we really need professionals to kind of safeguard us almost from ourselves, like spilling into other people's lives or something. And, and I think that's, you know, that's one, I think toxic lesson. I think there's, there's just so many, there's so sure. many like about, you know, believing that we must be productive. We like our work determines our value. Um, that like it's not what we are, but what we what we accomplish. Um, you know, there's so much of this that it's, it's sort of it feels like a never ending list. But I have to say, like we have had such an interesting time. We recently having some meetings with people that have been practicing the hologram for mm. a couple of years. Um, a lot of us have been doing it for like two or three years now, very consistently. And I really think actually some of this stuff can shift. Like it's, it's really incremental and it's really subtle, but, um, like the sense of, uh, having your like health and well being very much reliant on the health and well being of the people around you, uh, it really affects everything. And also like knowing that your friends are taken care of, which in the system, if it works as it's supposed to, like your friend, the people around you are taken care of, like, mm it does sort of cut off the sense of personal responsibility and like, you know, sort of individual heroism that can right. be really live in sort of like the world of uh, care and activism and all that. And I think it, it does sort of start to shift things for us over time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Um, you write that if all our crises, crises are connected, then all our wishes are conspiring. I like that. And I was wondering if you could say more about the role of the wish in the hologram. Yeah. Well, I, re I just remember very strongly, like, I had done this, um, this uh, kind of survey of lots of my friends, maybe around 2015 or 2016, about money. And it brought up a lot of conversations with my friends about like their wishes, like the wishes that they're embarrassed to have about money. Mm. Like, and we're talking about like poor people, you know, poor people that like are, you know, working just to barely afford rent, like, and how much kind of guilt they had for like being like, I just wish I could like have a house where I could like grow food and like have people come visit me and like not have to worry about losing it all the time. And then they would feel guilty about it. And I think the important thing to me was like seeing like that there are that wish is like, we don't live in a perfect society and like the wish to own property 
it's not like if you could do anything in any world, you would own property. It's like in these conditions, like you might want stability, like you might want a, something you could share with other people. You might want an, a relationship with nature. None of these things are bad. It's just that the way we have to get it is shitty, but that's not something that we can change individually. And so like, I think the interesting thing about the hologram is that like over time you begin to become very familiar with what the person that you're looking at really wants. And I think the things that most of us want are pretty basic and pretty common. And so I think like the more you see somebody else over time, like I'm in a couple of people's holograms for the last couple of years, like we all, we all just really actually want access to good food and water and like a place to support each other. Like right. we want to be creative and useful and it's like, it's, it's pretty simple. And so I feel like this is the thing is that like when we, um, when our wishes produce shame, there's way less likelihood that we're going to talk about it, realize the wishes are common and then look for ways to collectively seek out those wishes and the hologram then, if it's based in wishes, it's way different than being w based in the idea that we're going to fix somebody or fix something. Like, I think, you know, in every hologram, like, I think we at some point have to remind ourselves that, like, we are not problems that we're going to solve. Like, we are people who have wishes and we are going to help each other to sort of seek out those wishes and know that when one per per person begins to, to like actually get closer to what they want like we all do wonderful yeah. and so um the, this is it and it's like it's just so different than how you know biomedicine or anything seems to work which i i relate more to like patriarchy and stuff that we're just constantly trying to like quickly figure out the way to like like plug the sinking ship but mm -hmm. like if we actually just stop seeing each other as sinking ships and just sort of see like the whole sea is a bit weird, like, <laughs> you know, but if we tie the boats together, I don't know. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, that's the thing. All right. Um, you, you mentioned this a little earlier about how capitalism, you know, produces a sort of time poverty, but you write about how t time and how the hologram wastes your time. And I'm wondering if you could say more about that. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think like going into the hologram, believing it's going to waste your time is the best bet because it, it, it actually like can then, I think, surprise our expectations for how we might like the depth that we can reach in a short amount of time. Um, so like at the beginning of the project, before the pandemic started, especially, I mean, people would literally laugh at me in workshops and say like, this is such a cute idea, but it will never work because I would never have time for something like this. And we're talking like uh, maybe an hour and a half every three months for most of us. And like, um, but if we go into it, just believing it's just, we're going to take, we're going to waste our capitalist time. We're going to waste the time that we would normally be productive to do this other thing then the expectations are low and then your mind can be blown at what is possible in 90 minutes. Because I think like, um, actually there's something about the form that means that time goes by really quickly. There's a lot of depth and there's like a, like a shift in the energy of the group. That's very material. Like it's like people really feel and look different at the end. 
And so often when I think like, I hear people say like, I don't really feel like doing this right now. Like, I don't want to sit in front of the computer. Like, I just want to be alone. If you do it anyway, it it's kind of medicinal. And I think like, uh, yeah, but you have to somehow buy yourself the way in. Um, and so I think like, I think I, I've had different relationships to to this question of wasting time over the last couple of years. Mm. But I think the the really cool thing about time in this is that like um you we can't really plan very much, but the one thing I know about the future is that I will have my hologram. Like I'm I'm sure of it. I'm sure that in I don't know where I will live in five years. I don't know like how, but as long as there is an internet, I will have my hologram or a phone. Um And that is really interesting. And I feel like it's like really worth having something that you know you can plan on when you know that a lot of other stuff is is pretty shaky around you. And that is an interesting relationship to time, I think. Mm. Um, And we did like, um, we did a LARP at one point with people that were doing the hologram and we just did this thing where it was like, so imagine that you had your hologram that you have now, but you have it for the next 30 years until the year 2050. And so we LARPed as ourselves in 2050 to try to figure out what would have changed about us and our communities if we would have had this kind of like sustained support. And I think like, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to imagine a lot of other infrastructure and what its state would be in 2050. But there are certain things that we can kind of see like how the hologram shifts us and know that there's certain things that will maybe we can look forward to in that time. That's right. Okay. And some recent writing you describe, you've written recently about the other energy crisis. And I'm wondering if you could say more about this, which I really identified with quite, quite honestly. So I wonder if you could say more about that. I'm so glad that you, it was useful. Um, yeah, it really feels like, um, I mean, I, 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 so I wrote this article called um, Anxiety's Nature Defending Itself. And for me, it was like um, such an important exploration of my own experience of anxiety and trying to really look at what it's doing. And I just, I had this feeling that I have never had the chance to really like articulate, which was just that um, I think like anxiety isn't just bad, but it can produce an effect of a kind of um, a work, the perfect, the perfect conditions for more work. And I think it's just so interesting how like, you know, we, my anxiety a lot of times comes from the fact that like, I don't know what to look to anymore as like my as the sort of sacred things that I believe will always be there that can kind of like calm my brain and allow my kind of nervous system to, to slow down. Because when I picture, you know, some of the most, the places that I love the most, like they're burned up and gone. And so like, that's going to happen more and more. Um, And so meanwhile, my anxiety goes up and up and up. And then it's so funny because I'm like working more than ever. And that seems like a very weird response to that anxiety and so, like, I think the this other energy crisis is, like, not knowing what to do with this anxiety energy that we have and not knowing how to sort of really, like, listen to it and see what it wants. And 
my, I have a uh, quite amazing acupuncturist who constantly asks me what the anxiety is telling me. And I'm like, like, I don't know, because it's such a, it, it feels like such a kind of like overwhelming experience. It's almost, it's too much to translate. Um, but this article, I think interestingly was a way to kind of begin to slow down enough to really look at it. Not that I still know what the anxiety is saying, but mm. just sort of knowing, like, I do have a deep feeling that it is telling us something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's just saying to rest, you know? I don't think it's just saying to stop. It might be saying, though, to, like, stop living or, like, working in the ways that we are working. Um, and, you know, that's tough shit to deal with as an individual right, right, right. what are what am i supposed to do how am i going to pay rent if i don't mm-hmm. do that like it's not something you can really change alone so i think that's my the other energy crisis wonderful you also had another recent project the holographic school of social medicine which was a four-month experimental care project located at a bar in berlin and i'm wondering if you could say more about that project yeah so we're at we have two more weekends um at this cool little bar in Neukölln. And um, yeah, so basically the hologram, you know, it became something that a lot of people practiced and like many of my, you know, many of my best friends like had kind of taken it up. Um, Some of them became kind of organizers for the hologram. And I moved to Berlin partially because I had so many friends here that were doing the hologram and we were interested in like organizing and experimenting with what would it mean to really be together in space and like see what we could lift off in a city. Um, But a big question was like, if we could make the project like more physical, like if we had a physical place, what would change about it? And the answer is like everything. So the school of social medicine is like, it's a pretty big collaboration with um, Magda Hartelova and Florence Freitag. And we, now have like a whole lot of collaborators. And what we did was we just started by having like a stamtish, which is like a, a table where people could come every Thursday and just like talk about the hologram. And then somebody started coming a lot and we sort of began to talk about um, like how would we actually begin to like incorporate the practice and and sort of see what that's like in physical space without it being a workshop. And so we started to offer like a hologram a week with like strangers, like a facilitated session. And then those people would sort of like do the hologram and then stay after and come to the stamp and have a drink and talk about it. And then it was like too many people. So we started having two holograms a week and then those people would all, all stay after. And that meant we needed more facilitators. So we had to like raise up some more facilitators. And then we decided like, oh, well, actually there's a lot of people in this group that are either professional like caregivers or healers or whatever. And most of us kind of actually believe in uh, sort of like an anti-capitalist way of sharing information and practices. And so we started to do like skill shares with sort of political storytelling about where sort of different healing practices come from. So we learned like um, 
the like five point acupuncture in the ear that was developed by the young lords and the black panthers in new york in the 70s and so we did a bunch of studying about like where that came from and what that struggle was like and then we learned how to do the nada protocol so we could do it to other people and so it's it's become quite funny because like it's a bunch of kind of punks in a bar talking about the hologram talking about like kind of strategizing around the hologram you know who do we want to offer it to what's next but also like with needles in their ears and sometimes somebody's doing craniosacral something and you know it's like it's quite funny Mm. um and i think there's something really cool about it because it's almost like of actually like like the original clinic in greece like a not a a place for a kind of like non-hierarchical care distribution and people come off the street um people come to our events and then they end up like really staying and so the goal of this project was to like somehow create a community that could do a bigger project next time. And I think that we did. So we end up, we ended up with a pretty big community. And I think now in the fall, we'll, we'll get another space and try it again. So it's, it's very exciting. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, what are the future projects you're planning? A couple more questions for you. <laughs> Anything uh, planned? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just experimenting with exhibitions. Like, I think it's it's totally lame at the end of the world to do exhibitions, but I learned so much in doing it. Mm-hmm. So I've been I just have an exhibition up now, and I'm going to have another one in Norway in the fall. And like, Wonderful. these are just like little moments where I get to basically write an essay in space, and this, and then have people go in it and talk to me about it. And it's like, you know, it's. In some way, I'm so embarrassed to have an exhibition in the apocalypse. And in some ways, I'm so I'm just so grateful because like I think like you can only do so much like writing alone in your room, even if you're doing all the social learning in the world. Like I just I'm such a a believer in kind of like a social process and, and like actually having rituals so that like some of these ideas can be seen and expressed in different forms. Um, totally agree. Yeah, it's really it's really useful. I mean, I work with um, Berlin versus Amazon, and we just released an amazing video um, because Jeff Bezos uh, he's just agreed to some of our um, demands for if he wants Amazon to be in Berlin, what he has to do. So we made this video about it, and it's kind of gone viral. And we're just sort of like working with that and kind of like trying to keep Amazon out of Berlin. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a million projects on the go, but I think like maybe my next big project will be that um, I would really like to write another book that kind of comes after the hologram about what happens when people do have long-term anti-capitalist care, um, especially like in the sort of particular moment that we're in, like mm-hmm. what that's what that looks like. And uh, I, I mean, I'm a cynic. So it's hard to say this, but it's a kind of like a good news book a little mm-hmm. bit because I think like we actually now have like the data that shows that this makes big changes, like a, a small change of habit like this makes really big changes in people's lives. And I mean, I think, you know, we would love to be able to kind of sync this data up um, with like a social scientist or something and begin to sort of present it to different groups of people at a larger scale so that they could have access to the tool and just begin to like use it how they want it. Um, so yeah, I think That's lots great. of stuff is happening. That's great. Um, last question for you. What yeah. books, films, ideas, thinkers, etc. what's capturing your attention these days? Yeah. Um, I 
just <laughs> um my brain is totally lost on the name so i'll think of the <laughs> doris lessig i just read this amazing book by doris Le lessig called the good terrorist hmm. um which is like an amazing like maybe one of the best most interesting books about a character that i've ever read about an activist um who has really really complex motivations that you would never expect um and this would have taken place in the 70s in London. And it is, it is just an amazing, or 60s, it is an amazing um, book about like what anarchy really looks like as a kind of like emotional and internalized practice, hmm. really a practice. Um, it's super weird. <laughs> um, and then I just, I'm almost finished with the second book in this uh, two-part series by Adrian Marie Brown called The Grievers. Hmm. And it's a, I, I love when Adrian Marie Brown writes fiction. It is totally amazing. And it's about um, basically a, a pandemic that only affects black people in Detroit. Hmm. And I started reading it kind of in the middle of a lockdown, like one of the last lockdowns. And now the second part just came out and it's, uh, it actually involves like organizing in the apocalypse in a way that is very it's not super granular but there's enough of a sketch of like a possibility that's so cool hmm. um it's making me pretty happy hmm. and then i think like maybe i have a bunch of friends that have just produced really amazing work like um a really good friend of mine is just publishing a book in the same series as the hologram came out with um called on cuddling um, and this is just like, uh, yeah, it comes from this series. Um, just a really, really incredible book about, um, it's, it, the subtitle is called um, Squeezed to Death by the Racial Embrace. And, you know, really thinking about, um, yeah, like, like cuteness race and asphyxiation in a way that is like sort of beyond anything that I've ever been able to kind of think about before. Um, and then I would say that like the, a really good friend of mine has a very, very amazing band called Magda and the aliens that I'm listening to all the time. Okay. That's great. And are, are you yeah. contributing to the encyclopedia of radical helping? I think you are right. As long as I finish it in time. Okay. You, well, you will. We we trust that. Okay, okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, uh, writing about exciting. I'm, glad, I'm glad you will be part of the project. That's wonderful. Uh, how do people find you if they want to track you and see more of your work, what you're doing, learn more about the hologram? Mm, um, I think, like in a in a weird way, at the moment, my Substack, feminist economics department at, on Substack, is a really good one. I just got a new website made, and I have not populated it yet. Okay. Um, so I think probably my Substack and my Instagram I'll are link, both really good. I'll link both on the show notes so they have access to that. So, Cassie, thank you very much for making the time and explain the hologram. And there is the book out, everybody, uh, and I'll link that as well. And it's the hologram, feminist peer-to-peer -peer health for a post-pandemic future. That's what we've been talking about. So be sure to pick that up. And Cassie, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much.
All right, that's our show. And as always, thanks for listening. And please share this with somebody you think could, could you know, benefit from here in the Radical Therapist Podcast. Please spread the word. That's how we get in front of people, your kind um, generative sharing. So, and I'm also on social media. Come find me. Um, come hang out with me on Instagram at The Radical Therapist, or I'm on Facebook. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Uh, there's a the Radical Therapist Facebook page. And as always, if you want to interview me, just, uh, or I mean, <laughs> email me, uh, send me uh, an email at theradicaltherapist at gmail.com. And uh, I, please rate and review the show, it, wherever you're listening, whatever platform you're listening on, please uh, take a moment to rate and review the show. We would very much appreciate it. That's how we get out in front of people. And uh, yeah, as always, this has been the Radical Therapist Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.